last Christmas, our two youngest, Wiley and Scout, um, received a Christmas gift that is um, near and dear to my heart. Uh, here, let's go ahead and show that picture, David. It's a um, little fort building. They received um, actual equipment to build forts in our house. Now, when I was their age, I had to use chairs and brooms to make forts. But now we have created equipment so they can build um, massive and, and complicated and quite um, intricate forts. And this was uh, Wiley and I's recent fort effort. Um, we made a castle arch, I believe is what we ended up calling it. And the beautiful thing about forts is, is especially when you're a child, is that you build your own reality, right? Build your own place. You build the fort the way you want the fort, but the idea of the fort is that you can live and play inside the fort. And so as Wiley built his fort, as he and I constructed this fort, Wiley um, set up shop inside the fort, right? He got his pillow. He found his blankets. He set up seating areas in case his sisters wanted to visit the fort. He positioned it just right so that he could lay like he is in the picture and still see the TV while he's inside his fort, right? It's the, it's the, it's the kingdom that he wanted. It's the play place that he wanted for the day. And the reason I bring this up is because no matter what age you are, much like the, the equipment upgrades for forts, whether you're young or old, we continue to build forts, right? We continue to build the areas or the spaces that we want. And we fill them with the things that we want. And we construct the forts of our lives with the areas and the equipment or with the things, with the spaces that we desire. Fort building doesn't ever really outgrow us because we are people who strive for things, right? Especially us Americans. We want better. We want more. We want than we want and we want. We fill our lives by building kingdoms or forts that we desire and we fill them and design them and occupy them because that's what we want to do. And the reason I bring up this, this imagery of fort building, no matter what age you may be, is because this is the first uh, message that is shared in Matthew's gospel by John the Baptist. And it is the first message to which Jesus preaches in Matthew chapter 4. And it's the idea that we are people who build our own kingdoms when the good news of Jesus Christ is that you don't have to build your own forts in your own kingdoms and occupy and fill them with what you think they need to be occupied and filled with. That the kingdom of heaven is near is the message. And that kingdom is His kingdom, not your kingdom. John the Baptist preaches this in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness. He began to preach, and his message was, Repent! Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
Now, coming out of the Christmas story, the first two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, the first adult uh, out of the Christmas story that we meet is not Jesus, it's John the Baptist. We looked at this last week. And John the Baptist, the last prophet, comes in and he preaches a message of repentance. Now, as you continue to read through the Gospel, in Matthew chapter 3 of John the Baptist, you have his message of repentance, you have Jesus coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. You enter into Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at this another day, but Jesus spends time in fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted by the devil himself in that time of fasting, and coming out of his temptation and his fasting in the wilderness, Jesus preaches this message in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Coming out of the wilderness, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Those are the same messages. Those are the same sermons. Jesus is piggybacking on John the Baptist's message of repentance and turning towards God. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near us. This is what Jesus is ushering in as a new kingdom, as a new way of living. And it's not the fort building kingdom life that you and I tend to accept. It is a different kind of kingdom. And Jesus ushers in this kingdom. And this kingdom requires repentance to enter. Jesus ushers in a kingdom that requires repentance to enter it. We see this very quickly just in two chapters of Matthew's story of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist and Jesus himself preaches kingdom repentance. We've waited and we have anticipated God for so long. And God, Emmanuel, is now with us. And this kingdom is upon us. And what does that kingdom look like? It looks like people repenting of their sins. But more than that, people repenting from the sins that they have committed, but turning towards God himself. Jesus doesn't come to build borders, much like Jewish teachers, religious leaders of the day would have thought. Matthew makes clear that Jesus is the son of David. He is in line, much like the great king himself. But this king is not going to take over his land by force. This king will not occupy the land and and throw out the overseers that is the Roman government. This king is going to function differently. This king preaches repentance. Not self-worth. Not political power, not prestige, not wealth. This king preaches repentance because this kingdom is not contained by the borders of any land. This kingdom requires hearts to repent and turn towards God. This kingdom does not require paperwork. This kingdom does not require an election. This kingdom does not require our ability to make it happen. This kingdom functions in repentance. 
And there may be no better contrast to Jesus's kingdom of heaven than what happened on Wednesday in our country. Kingdoms are not built by prestige and power. They are not built when we don't get what we want. And so we have to take them. Jesus doesn't come and asking for you to take up arms. Jesus' kingdom is about your hearts turning towards him. There is a huge contrast in our ability to think. And what happened on Wednesday, not so much what happened on Wednesday in our country, but people were waving flags and banners in the name of Jesus Christ. It is appalling and is sickening and is blasphemous to come out and to use our ability and our power and our prestige and to say it is in the name of Jesus Christ when Jesus is repenting, is preaching repentance. Jesus is preaching that we turn our hearts towards God, not arm ourselves for power. And what you learn and begin to see as you pay attention to Jesus Christ is that Jesus doesn't storm capitals. He speaks to the heart of the person. Jesus doesn't wave flags. You know what He does? He carries a cross. Jesus didn't die on the cross to uphold the Constitution, by the way. He died for you. Died for your soul. And He doesn't ask us to take eye for eye or tooth for tooth. Jesus asked us to turn the other cheek and to give our coats. We are not people that seek retaliation by force and by blasphemous messages of a kingdom that is not of our God. We are people who seek opportunities to love first and foremost. And I know this. I know this because Jesus preaches a message of repentance. A message of turning towards God, not turning towards myself, not turning towards my political figures or my own prestige, but turning towards God himself, the God of glory, the God of creation, the God of heaven, the God of grace, the God that is holier than anything that you and I can build. Any fort you and I can build and occupy, it is greater than this moment and this place and the lives that are before us. This God is the heart-changing God of glory. And we forget that. And we just repent of that. So what I want to do is I want to turn to Matthew chapter 9. Because in Matthew chapter 9, we have a wonderful example of what this kingdom looks like and how different this kingdom functions, this kingdom of heaven that functions out of repentance. And is the example that is the story that Matthew gives us of his own conversion to following Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 9. Picking up in verse 9. Matthew, who writes this story of Jesus, now is going to tell us how he himself began to be a disciple and follower of Jesus. Pay attention to how differently things function in the kingdom of heaven than in the kingdom of the world. Jesus was walking along, verse 9, Matthew chapter 9. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me. And be my disciple. 
So Matthew got up and followed him. Now later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Let's pause there for just a moment. A couple of things I want to point out. Let's start with the phrase scum for just a moment. The New Living Translation made a, and we talked about this a few months ago in one of our outdoor worships, but New Living Translation makes a pointed decision to use this word. The actual phrase used here is tax collectors and sinners. But what the New Living Translation is, is wanting us to understand is how disgusted the Pharisees are by Jesus' actions. And just how the religious people of the day saw certain segments of society. They saw them as scum, tax collectors, disreputable sinners. People not like them may be a better way of putting it. And so what the New Living Translation does is helps elevate, helps us to understand, because we might read tax collectors and sinners, and we might read that in our current context and and hear it and move on, but the Pharisees ask it because they are disgusted by what Jesus is doing in these verses of Scripture. They see scum, and they see a guy who calls himself a rabbi, a teacher, a holy man, hanging out, with the disreputable scum of society, people not like them, as they might put it. And so Matthew builds this wonderful story of his own life to show you that he fit into the category of scum. He was not worthy of the calling to which Jesus gave him in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. He doesn't, he doesn't belong in the conversation of a rabbi or a teacher or a man of God, let alone the Son of God. And so Matthew's calling is a really good example of just how differently this kingdom functions, the kingdom that Jesus ushers in through repentance and turning towards God. Because this kingdom life that which Jesus preaches and calls you and me this very day lives differently than the world around us. Kingdom life lives differently. Functions vastly different. Matthew's called. Think about it. Matthew's called while he's working and living his life. Matthew's called by literally on the job. And Jesus walks by and Jesus sees him and calls him and he drops everything and follows him. And there may be a lot of questions here. What what was going on in Matthew's life to make him even consider this? What happened to his job? What happened to his finances, his home, his family? What's going on? And Matthew passes all this by because that's not the point of the the story to which Matthew wants you to, to hear from him. What's the point? This kingdom moves differently, and I accepted a different kind, a different way of life because this Jesus saved me. What we need to know is that Matthew went. 
What we need to know is that Jesus looked at him, a scum, a disreputable sinner, and said, you are worthy. And Matthew entered in the kingdom of heaven through repentance. Don't miss that. That word's not used, but Matthew turned away from his money-centered, prestige-driven life and turned towards God. And he followed Jesus because Jesus forgave him and changed him. The other thing I want to point out as, as we move on to verses 12 and 13 is that there's room for you in the kingdom. Matthew's at work. Jesus comes by, calls him to leave what he is doing and to follow him. And you know what? Notice what Matthew's first actions are as a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does Matthew do? He takes Jesus home and he has a party. And he invites not the holy, prestigious leaders of the church or of the community, he invites his disreputable friends for dinner. Tax collector, makes sense, would hang out with other tax collectors. Not very well liked among the Jewish community, the Israelites themselves. And so he invites the people he knows into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus sticks around for the party. And this seems to be what gets the Pharisees all riled up. The first time the Pharisees speak in the Gospel of Matthew is right now. But notice what Matthew does first. He has a dinner. He has a party. And people are allowed to sit at the table at the feet of Jesus. And they are allowed to dine with him no matter what has happened in their life. No matter their story. No matter their past. In repentance. We don't look back. We don't function in the past. We turn towards God. We look to Him. We move towards Him. We are ushered into a new way of living that is not bound by the ways of this world or what's supposed to happen because of the things that the choices we have made, but everything that moves towards God into this kingdom. There's room for every single person of every single background with all kinds of luggage to sit at this table. And Jesus will dine with us there. And this is what gets the Pharisees upset. They can handle the things that Jesus has been doing. They seem to accept some of the teachings and some of the actions of healing. But it's this. Sitting at a dinner table with people, with human beings, with souls, that gets them all upset and they ask the question, how can your teacher, how can Jesus eat with the scum? Matthew 9, picking up in verse 12. Jesus overheard this. And he says this. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture from Hosea. I want to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. 
For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now, here's the big takeaway. Here's where we need to understand what Jesus is saying right here. If I could summarize it, it's this way. We enter the kingdom when we recognize we are not well. This kingdom functions for those who are sick, not those who have it all put together. This kingdom functions for those who are in desperate need of something different and new in their lives. This kingdom is for those who are lost, who are sick, who are not currently at the table. This, com- this kingdom is, functions so vastly different that the, the Pharisees don't understand it. They can't see it. And quite frankly, sometimes we don't see it and can't get it. You see, the Pharisees, their concern is holiness, right? It's not like the Pharisees come in with, with a bad attitude, with a grudge. They will later, but not in this moment, it seems like. It would seem that the Pharisees come with pure intentions, with the teaching of Scripture behind them, that holiness is, is incredibly valuable and important. We have laws to help us live into holiness, therefore we can be in connection and relationship with God. Their intentions seem to be pure, but what they don't understand is that holy lives is not about what you and I can accomplish or do, right? That holiness comes from God Himself and no other source. And so when we begin to recognize that we are not well, that we can't do it, that it's not about us and it's not about the fort that I can build or the things that I can, that I can occupy it with, but it's about, my pre- it's about my presence before God Himself and recognizing that I can't do it without Him, Repentance in turning towards God. We enter into this different kind of kingdom. Um, David, go to this, this picture for me. It's a dirty window. You ever tried to look out a dirty window? This may be the, all our windows in our living room right now. Because every time I clean the windows in, the, in our living room, you know, you get them just perfect, right? They're squeegeed, they're dry, there's not, there's not a smidge on them. One of my children will come by and there'll be fingerprints and usually a nose print of some kind on the windows, right? But a really dirty window does not allow us to see the beauty that is out there, that is on the other side of the wall, right? There may be something incredible out there, but all we can see is through the smudges and the dirtiness Uh, that is built up on the window. And the reason I bring this picture up is because this dirty window is a really good representation of how we might see God's kingdom and our kingdom. Jesus doesn't ask us to build and to notice, which we often do, We build kingdoms that we find ourselves to be comfortable in. We build kingdoms that we believe are the right ones and we hold them very strongly. And then when we look out the window, the problem is the windows are pretty dirty and what may be before us 
may be there, but we can't see it fully and in its entirety because we're looking out of dirty windows. The forts we build, the kingdoms that we build are inherently not simply wrong, they are inherently going to fail because kingdoms of this world come and go and they ultimately die. And so we see through dirtiness, we see through our own ability, we see through our own work to keep the window clean and it's forever going to be dirty before us. When Jesus comes in and says, repent from your sins and turn towards God, Jesus is offering us a kingdom that sees something different and beautiful in all of its glory a kingdom that is not built by my own hands or your hands, but a kingdom that is built on the cross and fulfilled through the empty tomb. Now, if Matthew chapter 9, really Matthew chapter 8 and 9, these two chapters are wonderful examples of just how differently this kingdom of heaven functions. And if you pay attention to Jesus, which I, I hope you do, Jesus seems to function differently because his kingdom is different. So let's do this. I'm very quickly going to point out several things that happened leading up to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. I'm not going to read all these in their entirety. I would encourage you to do that on your own. Read Matthew chapter 8 and 9. If you're looking for something to read, read Matthew chapter 8 and 9 today. And pay attention to Jesus because what Jesus begins to do is he sees clearly. And what he sees is not how things typically go in this world. And it begins in Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. So suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt down before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Right? A dirty, unholy, a sick person comes before Jesus. Jesus doesn't turn away. Jesus doesn't yell. Jesus doesn't get upset. Jesus reaches out and touches him and says, I am willing be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Jesus hangs out with the sick and hurting and the unclean. Jesus continues, and he entered into Capernaum, Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 7, and a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Think about this situation for just a moment. A Roman officer. The vile Romans are showing up now. And Jesus hasn't turned him away either. Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The enemy is before him and Jesus doesn't turn away from him. He goes with him. We continue on Matthew chapter 8 verses 14 through 16. Jesus arrived at Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law was sick and in bed with a high fever. And when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. She got up, prepared a meal for him. And that evening, time with one of his disciples in their home with his family, that evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. And Jesus spends time with them. He cast out evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed 
all the sick. No one was turned away. Matthew 8, verse 26. Jesus says to his disciples, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. He's on a boat. The storm's about to capsize the boat. The disciples are rightfully afraid of what is going on. They wake Jesus up, who's sleeping through the entire ordeal. And he asks them why they're afraid, because their faith is so little. But more than that, notice what Jesus does in the storm that the disciples find themselves in. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. And then right before Matthew's calling, Matthew 9, verse 2, people were brought to him, a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. On and on and again and again and in every instance, Jesus is with the people that find themselves in his path. He never turns them away. He never looks down on them. He does nothing but be present before the people before them. In other words, you know what he does? He does exactly what Matthew does in his first acts as a disciple. He invites them to the table. He invites them into the kingdom. He calls them into something new and different. Every person with every background and every piece of baggage is welcome at this table and in this kingdom. This is a different kind of kingdom. Jesus isn't raising up an army. He's not looking to go protest. He is looking to change hearts and to change lives. He is looking for people to come sit at the table with him. Repent of your sins and turn towards God. Kingdom life lives differently, church. And there's room for you. You're invited to the table. To Jesus' table. This church exists not because someone had a great idea for a place. This church exists because Jesus' invitation that all people can sit at his table is the invitation of this community. You're invited to the kingdom of heaven, not to the kingdom of self. You're invited to Jesus' feet. You are invited to move with him, go with him, seek after him, and to be in his presence because your past does not have to define you any longer. His kingdom can. His presence can. His blood can. And that empty tomb will forever change your life in this kingdom. God's spirit is ready. It's here. God's Spirit is with you. Will you come sit at the table with Him? If there's a need of any kind, if this church can be with you, if this church can pray for you, if this church can rally around you and whatever may be going on in your little fort, may May we, we please let us know so that God's spirit can be with us and that this church can be with you in the midst of this journey.
If there's a need of any kind, I'll make myself available up front. But let's stand together and let's sing one more song this morning. Brent. <laughs>